I never ever thought in a million years I would take a stand-up comedy class and I took stand-up comedy twice. So that was a healing journey for me and it became part of my framework on how to say yes to new things and in actually invite good stress because you would probably know this Dr. Anna when we are starting to invite good stress we are starting to build the building blocks of resilience we are starting to rewire our neural pathways we are starting to rewire the neurons in our brain that we're so used to the complacency and it's kind of like going to the gym when we're building our muscles our patterns are getting rewired there so for myself it was this 30 days of yes challenge that ended up to kind of begin the building blocks of what I call now your bounce factor in inviting and creating and cultivating that new stress to really shift a new leaf and a new chapter of yourself. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you are meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. There's a saying that says, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And I love that saying. I love that, like you can turn it around. Lemons can feel very sour and you wanna add some sugar, add some sweetness, and now you've got some lemonade and what a great positive attitude. But hey, that doesn't work all the time. Sometimes we have to let go of positive toxicity. And there is ups and downs in all aspects of our lives. I know I've been there many times over. Oh my gosh, just recently, I moved into this house a year ago and since then had five floods. So first there was foundation issues, one, two, three, figured that stuff out after the Dallas drought last summer and then the huge amount, they called it the 100 year rain. And that was actually August 22nd or 23rd. I remember that very well. And we flooded this basement that I have. I'm up on a hill in Dallas and we have a basement, very unusual in Dallas. And this may be why, very dry to very wet. And so even though I was told this house never got water in the basement. And so that led to you know, many construction things that of course were not covered because foundation issues apparently aren't covered on insurance. So stress to stress. And then there was our washing machine that's down here. And apparently the hose just came off and it flooded another two times the basement. You know, I've learned a lot. Like, so when I'm trying to figure out how to really shift that, when life gives you a flooded basement, make a swimming pool or <laughs> anyway, so that's not working. So dry it up and deal with it and handle it the best way you can and move on. That's the next step. What can you do? Shift, pivot, change, fix what you can. And so I think that's a really important piece of what I want to talk to you today. And the guest that I have on today is has written a book recently that was released uh, earlier this year. It's called That Sucked, Now What? And 
just like with my basement. That sucked. Now what? What do we do about it, right? So how do we shift from a all life is beautiful, I'm going to keep smiling about it, to okay, let me just get raw, authentic and handle it. And it reminds me one time in the South in Georgia, I mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania. And then when I went to medical school in, in Miami, and then settled in Georgia, I really recognized many of my Southern girlfriends had this, you know, you have like turn lemon into lemonade attitude. And I love that positivity, except when there was real pain. And as a physician, I saw real pain. And it's hard to hold that philosophy when you have real pain. And so getting in touch with that pain is part of healing. And I recognize that through my own journey, as well as through the journey of so many women in my life and, and people in my community. So this guest is also a doctor, Dr. Nita Bouchon. She's a world-renowned emotional health advocate and expert in the areas of grit and resilience. Her doctor comes from dentistry, and she had sold her large million-dollar cosmetic dentistry practice, helping people transform smiles to spark of inner greatness. And I love that because she has traveled around the world. She has a voice for immigrant women and women of color, and she is, has been researching human behavior and ancient Eastern philosophy and therapeutic psychology. She really pulled all this learning together to pull together what she has created now in her book, That Sucked, Now What? How to Embrace the Joy in Chaos and Find Magic in the Mess. And it was released January 2023. So I highly recommend it. You'll learn more about our guest in just a minute as I bring her on and introduce you. Welcome, Neetha. Welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor Show. It's great to see you. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. So I last saw you, uh, first first and last saw you uh, at your book launch party for That Suck Now What? And that was amazing. I was like, what a great idea. I hadn't been to an event like that before. It was great. So I'd love for you to share a little bit your journey, what brought you to this point here. As you did that night, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this woman. I love her mm -hmm. story. And I would love for her to share it with my audience. That's why I invited you. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. And wow, that night... Somebody had said to me, I've never seen a launch party like this before. It wasn't a party. It was an event. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was a, you know, I think it sparked just from my upbringing and the way I love bringing people together. And for those who don't know, I come from, you know, immigrant parents. My dad was from India and my mom was from the Philippines. And a lot of the, you know, sucky moments that I have been through and kind of the overcoming of those sucky moments has really been because of my upbringing. And for myself, and I was the oldest of two younger brothers, we grew up in Chicago and my parents were, you know, coming for the American dream. And so that meant that they were tiger parents and they wanted to push us and put us in everything under the sun, whether it was piano, ballet, Indian dance, you know, Indian classical dance, Filipino dance, which meant Hawaiian dancing. There was such a reverence for the arts in my family, but also a reverence for accolades, achievement, success. And then our lives would completely change when I was 10. And when I was 10, I became a caretaker to my mom who was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so for anybody who, you know, has experience with an immigrant father, Punjabi father, strict, 
who now has his wife going through a major mm. surgery and a major time in their life. And that meant that the eldest woman in the house would support, support with chores, support with, you know, all of the household things. And that was me. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much overnight, you know, I made this meaning in my mind that, all right, I have to support my family. And that would be for, you know, between the ages of 10 and 16, when my mom was in and out of hospitals and her cancer then eventually spread to other parts of her body. And then she, uh, she transitioned when I was 16 years old. So at 16, you know, then I am kind of the role model of the house and we were kind of going through a relief. You know, I think that when somebody goes and I didn't have, of course, the languaging back then, but when somebody goes through that long of an experience and her last three months of her life, it, she was on, uh, she was in the ICU, she was on a ventilator. And mm -hmm. so a lot of what, I mean, I grew up in and out of hospital settings, like until I was 16 years old, where most of my peers and friends, they were at the mall, they were dating, they were doing, you know, teenage things. Uh, I was in this grieving process and I was so excited to live my life. And a year later, my brother, who was 15 months younger than me, was coming back from school. It was actually homecoming. So we were supposed to meet and he never made it that day. He suffered from an asthma attack in front of his oh God, school. Yeah. And so that, you know, sudden death with the with a child, but also uh, like immediately after my mom died, you know, his lungs gave out and collapsed over his heart and they couldn't revive him. And so, and this happened on my youngest brother's 12th birthday. So if you can imagine, this really set my dad into a deep, deep depression. I, of course, you know, could not go away for college, uh, despite the fact that I was, you know, I got into every college that I applied to. I, I, I had to you know, stay and take care of my family. And so that would really change a lot. And I then had to work three jobs to support my family. And then two years after that, we would have another major tragedy. And my dad uh, would be diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So they gave him nine months to live. And at 19, I am now orphaned. And I have my youngest brother to take care of. And so I remember just, you know, entering my 20s with such a chip on my shoulder uh, because I didn't want anybody to feel bad for my situation. We got a lot of, t of attention because of our situation. And I just wanted to, you know, I didn't want to be that broken, the, the one that was known with, you know, the, the broken family. And so I definitely had a coping mechanism of overworking, overachieving, and just doing whatever it took for me to get out of this bubble to recreate myself, my identity. I think that, you know, first, thank you for sharing. I know it's hard. It's never easy. I've lost both my parents and I lost a young toddler. My son, my only son died in a tragic accident. And, you know, when you are exposed over, you know, to, to trauma, I mean, it becomes part of your physiology. The challenge is to make it a story apart from you, apart from your physiology, a part of you for, for the rest of your life, but yet apart from you. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's also one thing that 
really resonated in your work to me was this concept of false positivity or toxic positivity, just trying to yeah. make everything, oh yeah, it's all great, it's all beautiful, yeah. it's all wonderful, it's it's just a perfect life, I'm just living and I'm not hurting, there's no, there's no room. And I know for myself, my coping mechanism, perfectionism, workaholism, mm -hmm. the, the positively revered toxic behaviors that can, that can take us down. So can, please, can you continue sharing your story? Yeah, and so, I mean, so much resonance there because that was exactly my coping mechanism. And for anybody that has, you know, you've experienced as much tragedy as well. And it's it's never easy. And I think that we we become, you know, this 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 warrior. And I it, that's kind of the you know the archetype that comes up. I was this warrior, but also this martyr, and also someone that was was ready to use the coping mechanism of work of, of workaholism and I was overworked overstressed but that was also my addiction and you know some people have said well Nita at least you weren't a you know a drug addict or you didn't get pregnant early on or you know you you had success and I'm like well yes of course at what cost at, at what cost right and you know we all have our different paths and for me, this was this was the path. And I would be in my 20s so that I would climb the top of, you know, whatever achievement, success story, because I really wanted to make my parents, my, my the, you know, the spirits of my parents proud. And so that led me to become a cosmetic dentist that led me to, you know, purchase a practice pretty much right out of school, two years out of, of school, which was, you know, unheard of for many of the male colleagues, because they were mostly male, uh, but also me being a female uh, in that environment. Well, okay, checkbox. And I fell in love. I got married. We did the whole, you know, all of the, the big fancy trappings of success as young people, uh, you know, getting the, the fancy cars, the fancy home and all of that beautiful taste. Yet I found myself in such a deep, dark place. And this was 11 years ago, but it took me that deep, dark place to actually realize that I was living my life for other people, that I was so focused on the external validation that I forgot about my own deep, deep healing journey that I would really attract a partner in a codependent narcissistic relationship uh, to really teach me about self-love because things had to get so bad where I had to literally leave haphazardly in the middle of the night and really admit and have the bravery and the courageousness to admit that, gosh, I need help and I'm in a toxic relationship. But I was so burned out emotionally, mentally, you know, physically, my life was threatened that I needed to make a literal change overnight. And that would be the hallmark and the beginning of deep healing, deep unlearning, deep letting go and letting go of perfection, allowing people to help and really asking, who can I talk to? Who can I process this with? You know, I didn't have the languaging, obviously. I didn't grow up in that way. And even therapy was taboo in, in our cultures. Divorce was also taboo. And so I had to actually let go of even the people in my life who were not accepting of my choices. And that that began to unravel in so many ways, especially in the ways of me even 
you know, selling my my dental practice uh, years later when I would deep dive into you know personal growth and meditation and healing, and you know saying yes to different retreats and saying yes to different opportunities outside of medicine where I would then dive into investing in women leaders and in their businesses, uh, startup founders. And so one thing would lead to another, but my through line in my twenties and even growing up was toxic positivity. And it took, you know, hitting rock bottom after my marriage to say, okay, wow, I need to grieve because I'm not okay. And it's okay. Even as bad as it was knowing that you still have to grieve it. Yeah. And it's okay to not be okay. And I think that with, you know, this mentality of overachievement and overarching doing and ambition and, you know, we see that as a coping mechanism out to bust because we, we normalize, you know, and we, we even praise the success of the workaholics and, and that's normalized. It's not normalized to sit in the suck. It's not normalized to fully prioritize healing and grieving. Yeah, no, I love that. And I like that. It's not normalized to sit in the suck, but how long can you sit in the suck? It's true. It's true. And and it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, you know, that sucked. Now what? It's not this sucks, meaning that we're still in the suck. It's actually the space between the vulnerability and the, so the victim is in the, oh gosh, that sucked. And of course the sucky situation is there. I even have a distinction between, you know, having, being a victim in a circumstance. And I was that victim too of domestic violence. Yet there's a point where we then go from the victim to the victor, which is the now what? The issue that most of us face is we go from victim to victor, like overnight, we bypass. whoop, And we think, oh, I know better. I'm a doctor. I'm not supposed to feel that. I know better. I read that book on meditation. I, I'm not supposed to feel that. In fact, if I feel it, I'm, I might attract it. So I'm not going to feel it. So then, then we skew on the other side of that piece. We're in the middle of that sucked. And now what? The middle of the victim and the victor is the vulnerability. The vulnerability in the space to say, you know what? I'm not okay. You know, I'm not feeling well. I'm feeling stressed. And to actually articulate and identify and name our feeling without getting fully stuck in the sitting of that emotion. But yes, allowing yourself to feel that. And in fact, in my book, you know, I talk about different ways and strategies and tools to be okay allowing yourself to feel. And then we move on. There was a point in time, even in my own grieving process after my divorce, when, you know, the barriers came off, where I would allow myself to grieve and I would set a timer to grieve every 15 minutes before I would head into the office to see patients. I would be a wall of tears, wailing and crying and doing my own process. And then before I went to bed, 15 minute timer, wailing and crying and releasing. And I did that daily, ritualistically, sacredly for six months. And so, you know, however this is landing for, you know, for you listeners out there, I think it's just important to remember that to, to give yourself space for that, because that's how we find magic in our messy middle. Yeah. And I love that one of the, certainly a survival technique called it compartmentalization, compartmentalizing, I write about it. And that is, you know, 
in, in the process of my day, thoughts will come up, but to allow myself eight to eight fifteen every night, that was my time to, you know, wallow, to feel, you know, to laugh, to you remember to do whatever my body needed to do, but I would compartmentalize because same thing, running a busy business, you know, practice, being a mom to other children, you know, tr you know, being a wife, being a leader, a boss, all those things. So compartmentalizing was part of the strategy, mental health strategy that I had to take to recovery. It was a long time till I realized, you know, the underlying effects of that chronic, that PTSD, the chronic underlying stress. And I write about this, I talk about it, but it's that, that shift from when you're in a high cortisol state, you're in low oxytocin, low connection. And then you get to this dangerous state where cortisol is suppressed and you're in this low cortisol, low oxytocin, this disconnect, this mm -hmm. feeling like, God, I, I love my work. I just don't feel like, you know, I don't, I don't feel love for it anymore. I, or I can't even stand to go in, but I used to love it. I, I love my spouse. I don't feel love for them. Or, you know, you stop doing activities that you love. Did you experience part of that as part of your journey? Oh, yes. Well, there was a point where, you know, it was very hard to focus, which is why, you know, I would, especially in the early days during the losses, it was a mantra to focus on school because that school meant connecting to my parents' desires. School meant connecting to the things that I did when I was growing up, like dance. So even through the mist of, you know, those, my, my parents and my brother, you know, passing, I remember still having, you know, a weekly practice of dance because that was my outlet. And, you know, whether it was performing or not, that was, that was my connection. And many times it was connection back to the times that I had that were good. And, you know, one of the things that you're even alluding to in trying to come out of the suck, and this is basically what I started to practice when I was in the deepest, you know, sitting in the deep suck after my divorce, of trying to recreate a whole community because I had left that entire community and I was starting to rebuild myself. In the book, I actually call it, you know, literally when you're rising like a phoenix from the ashes, mm -hmm. you have a fall, you have something that didn't go well, you have a divorce, you have a loss, you have a medical diagnosis, and then you have this ignition. You are ignited. You can actually, you know, make a difference in yourself and or choose a different route. Most of the time we choose the complacency, we sit back, we don't make a change, but when we are ready, and for me, I was like, I cannot go back there. And for anybody who's ever had like a financial crisis, you know, they always say, I'm never gonna go back to that state. Well, the pain has gotten so low that you're actually going to move forward no matter what it takes. Well, for me, it was, all right, I am going to sign up for improv. And I would start saying yes to different things. And it was, you know, one thing, first it was like one thing a month while I was in the, you know, deepest, darkest days because I was motivated to find new community. And I would share this with, you know, a friend shared this with me to say, hey, I think this would be really good for you. And I'm like, I... I'm, I'm terrified. I've never, I, I, I love that idea. I'm like, I gotta look do in that. Dallas and see, is there anything, <laughs> any improvs here? Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you that 
just single experience changed my trajectory, changed my, the trajectory of my life because then out of that, my leadership changed because I was not so strict on my perfectionism. I was loosening up there. Even the way I spoke shifted because I was practicing the tools and improv so much so that I never ever thought in a million years I would take a stand-up comedy class and I took stand-up comedy twice. So that was a healing journey for me and it became part of my framework on how to say yes to new things and in actually invite good stress because you would probably know this, Dr. Anna, when we are starting to invite good stress, we are starting to build the building blocks of resilience. We are starting to rewire our neural pathways. We are starting to rewire you know, the, the neurons in our brain that we're so used to the complacency and it's kind of like going to the gym when we're building our muscles, our patterns are getting rewired there. So for myself, it was this 30 days of yes challenge that ended up to kind of begin the building blocks of what I call now your bounce factor in inviting and creating and cultivating, uh, you know, that, that new stress to, you know, really shift a new leaf and a new chapter of yourself. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. I think you have so much wisdom, so much wisdom, and that you share it so graciously. I didn't know about the stand-up comedy and the improv. <laughs> I, I missed that somehow in your book, but your book is a great resource. I got a copy for each of my girls, and it's That Sucked, Now What? That Sucked, Now What? Need I Have Daughters Age 15 to 34? So quite a wide range. And yeah, so we look forward to doing a lot more with you and just continuing to watch your impact that you're bringing to this world and the grace you're doing it with and, and the authenticity, the vulnerability and, and the way that you share that gives all of us around you a permission to share it as well. So especially as a mom, right? As mm -hmm. a mom, you know, knowing that each, you know, each day brings with it you know, the ups and downs, the challenges and the so many blessings. And if you can do it with a sense of humor, all the better, all the better. It's, it's true. I think I think my stand up comedy routine has even perfected a little bit more now that I have uh, now that I've found love again, got married and have a one year old, almost two year old and a four and a half year old. So that's all you can do is is laugh. Oh my <laughs> because gosh, that, that also so that also builds our resiliency as well. It builds our resilience, increases oxytocin. It's one of my questions on reflection. I ask regularly, where did I laugh at myself? Where was there humor in a situation? Or where could I have found humor in a situation? And certainly where could I have laughed at myself? That list is usually pretty long. So it's, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And we can't, you know, we can't take ourselves so seriously. I mean, from somebody who's had a lot of serious crises, I was definitely one that could be, you know, in the serious sauce for a while, mm -hmm. which is why I think improv was such a great medicine to get me out of my head and play and, you know, begin the unraveling of what that could look like. I give permission to it. other people. Yeah, I love it. All right, everyone, let's sign up for improv. Let's do that. <laughs> Next step. And again, you know, laughter increases oxytocin and allows it's self-medication. It's uh, <laughs> It's there. It's like creating resilience. It is rebuilding ourselves, and is so powerful for our future and our family. So I thank you for sharing your journey with us. I know it's impacted and resonated, you know, my entire community. And mm. please tell us um, where to connect with you. I know you have a podcast and your book and your website. 
Yes, absolutely. So for more info and tips on anything that has to do with building your emotional resilience or even just, you know, embracing the suck moments, you can go to thatsuckednowwhat.com and you can even get the book at thatsuckednowwhat.com. And for the daily or weekly dose of The Brave Table, which is my podcast, you can find The Brave Table wherever you get your podcast from. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being with us today and for your book and for your work and for your group and for your leadership. I thank you. Very inspiring and a hard journey to share. And thank you for sharing it. I know it brings up a lot of emotions. And, and that's, that's okay. That's good, right? For our listeners, I was speaking with a woman yesterday, and she is sandwiched between being a caregiver and two teenage kids, right? And so she's caregiving her mom who's in her 80s and has Alzheimer's. And she's exhausted, worn out, you know, really like, you know, on on the edge. And so whatever stage you're in, it's looking to find out, right, in this moment, this is sucky. Now, where are the blessings in this moment? There's always something to be grateful for and to focus and to shift. And the tools and resources that you accumulate throughout your life are all needed probably right now in a situation like that. So learn and laughter is seriously the best medicine. Laughter is the best medicine. So that's part of OxyPlay, you guys. So make sure you're getting your OxyPlay. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being in the Girlfriend Doctor show in the community. Please come over to YouTube and watch this or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Be sure to rate us and leave a comment. I read every single one of them. Your five-star ratings help us rise in reach. So thank you and God bless you till next time.